Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hello everybody and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and today I'm wingmanned by Tristan Johnson as my co-host and we are, we're, how are you doing? We're, we're a good pair. It's, it's such an exciting interview right now because literally for two and a half years I've been envisioning the day where we would have the rig that we have now so everybody who's listening you heard about it last week on Kaylee's show but you uh, you may have heard of it already but here's the actual story with the facts oh boy on the weekend Tristan and I drove in a snowstorm London on February 13th 2016 was subjected to an apocalyptic snowstorm. And in the middle of it, Tristan and I got in a car that I had rented and drove to Long and McQuaid and picked up some sweet microphones, a sound mixer, and some microphone stands. And what else? And we also got something that we can do some live reporting with uh, with phones. Oh, yeah that, yeah, that thing was cool. Anyway, so now... Gradcast is legit. We are not recording this. I repeat, we are not recording this from a pocket recorder or a cell phone or a selfie stick or anything along those lines with GoPros. Yeah. You guys had a selfie stick? Yeah. Well, no. Joe and I did for something we did a while ago, but yeah. Yeah, this wasn't like a formal Gradcast business, but yeah, no, we, we have used selfie sticks in the past. Huh. Once. Anyway, guys. All that aside, I'm very excited. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting episode. It's, it's such uh, it's an a, exciting day. It's a bit of a panel show. Uh, we are here with Yamin. Hello. Again, who's, uh, sort of. Who's, I, I, I hesitate to call you a guest by this point because you, it's like saying, uh, oh, look, dad's home. He's our guest. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, he's, you're, you're, you're I'm part not of the that old, now. Tristan. Come on. Okay. You've been, uh, you've been in the show now for two months. Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I, you're part of the team now, and we're going to talk about a really cool project that you're involved with. Absolutely. Uh, so if you guys hadn't caught my previous interview show, my name's Eamon Chen. I'm a PhD student in the uh, Library and Information Science pro- uh, program in the Faculty of Information and Media Studies. Uh, today, though, Tristan mentioned I'm here to talk, to, talk about a project um, I've been working on with my supervisor and some of our colleagues. It's uh, it's totally super cool, although the official title is the Digital Deception Detection Project, the DDD. So I have some serious questions here because I'm one of those like you know aluminum foil wearing people who's a little bit. I was going to ask, but I mean I didn't think it was appropriate. Yeah, the hat, it, the, yeah, the hat that I wear those, sometimes. You guys can't see it right now, but he basically wears a tinfoil hat at all at all times. Like yeah, a colander on top of it. Totally, I'm. He's always thinking the aliens are coming for him. You well, never know. I, no, I'm always thinking that it's possible that Google is coming for me. Google's so coming for you. Google is com- coming for all of us. <laughs> so no, but but on a more serious note, now with the advent of the internet and a great thing that Google did, which was create like freely available information for everybody um, who could access it. Um, there, there were some issues that have arisen, right? Is that, is that what we're here to talk about? Yeah, I mean, 
more or less. Yeah. The first thing yeah. this reminded me of when we were talking about your project. So like basically like like the the one sense version is like it's a bullshit detector. Uh, actually, yeah, that is literally part of the title of one of the uh, the short papers that came out of this. <laughs> no, it's um, a crap detector. Automatic crap. That's right. That's right. That is that's actually a quote from Ernest Hemingway from I love that man. way back in the day. He's he's a beautiful dude, um, and it was in uh, one of his. A conversation with an interviewer, I believe it from was from the Atlantic magazine, and he was talking about basically, you know, um, in in a way, literacy, critical thinking, all that sort of stuff. And he, he commented, he said that uh, he believes that every man, of course, he said men, uh, but every man should have his own automatic, built-in bullshit crap detector. Mm-hmm. The fundamental idea being that. You know, you have to be able to judge for yourself the quality of the information of the communications that you're receiving. So whether someone might be lying to you on purpose or not, uh, whether the person talking to you or giving you the information is confident in what they have, and whether the information itself is, you know, probably accurate or not. Mm-hmm. And you're, uh, you're hitting in a lot of the same uh, methods and such that I work in. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, you said that like the project works heavily in statistical natural language processing. Yes, that's right. That's actually um, one of my colleagues. His name is Nala Conroy, also in the LIS department. He's the processing uh, tech dude. I pretend to understand what he does, but really, as far as I'm concerned, he works magic, and um, stats and figures come out the other end, and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. So I guess before we get into any of your, your methods or uh, anything like that. What what are some of the problems that we're encountering? Okay. Well, I mean, if, if I could go back and start on this idea of uh, digital deception detection. So this entire idea of deception, right? It, I mean, the first thing most people think about is lying, right? And... Um, lies are something that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Some um, surveys and polls done in the UK, I believe a while ago, came up with a figure that said um, the average person uh, tells maybe about one and a half white lies every day. And in addition to that, they tell almost, uh, well, they, they tell basically one fairly big lie every two or three days. And what they found is around 75% of people more or less match this distribution. Now, are these intentional or unintentional lies? Well, I mean, a white lie could be, say, you know, Alex, if you came up to me today and say, um, hey, I got uh, this new shirt. How do I look? I could... Don't go there. (laughs) Well, uh, example, hypothetically, you know... It's really in fashion. Everyone likes Pink Floyd. Yeah. Well, okay, I, I would say, yeah, that's awesome. But, you know, maybe Tristan's not a fan. He'd be like, yeah, cool shirt. It's a pretty good prism there. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, another brick in the wall and all that. But so, you know, a lot, people often think of deception, lies and stuff as you know, a bad thing, a negative thing. But in reality, these sorts of maybe white lies, sort of uh, lies of omission or, you know, exaggeration, understatement, so on. These are really, really important kind of social lubricators to make sure that uh, people continue to like you so that, you know, you don't just go around offending everyone by saying really, really bluntly and outright things that people don't necessarily need to hear. 
Yeah. So that's you know the well. So that's the sort of thing that happens all the time. But there's uh, other studies that have shown that humans, people, are just really, really, really bad at detecting lies and deception in general. So the uh, what people have found is that um, humans are barely above fifty percent in terms of uh, lie detection. So you get about as good odds flipping a coin as you would just asking someone um, if uh, someone without any sort of priming, without any sort of pre preparation, if you know this person's lying to you. Is that with or without like? facial expressions and stuff? Um, it's actually fairly consistent over different types of media. Um, I, I believe there was a study done in print, uh, on radio, and with TV to see if there were differences in how well people did across those three. And it was actually uh, the radio that produced the best results. So people, and the explanation there was that uh, people often think they know all sorts of cues that tell or give away when someone's lying. Right, so you might look towards the upper right corner uh, more often than normal. You might, you know, avoid eye contact. You might have a little twitch or something. But a lot of those are completely without any real factual basis. So people often uh, give themselves false positives that way or false negatives. But if you uh, eliminate some of that, if you pay just uh, attention just to things like um, intonation, into to uh, speaking rhythm and pacing and so on, people actually tend to be better at judging um, sort of truthfulness there than any other format. Nice. And because uh, like my first thing uh, I went to is there's a blog that documents comments of people who believe onion stories. Yes. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, I imagine what you guys are trying to figure out is a way that they could have like a little, maybe a browser extension or something that tells them this might not be true. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, um, I mean, ideally, the end product of all this. Um, we're trying to figure out ways where we could look at text um, automatically through an algorithm and so on, run a few statistical uh, tests, and with some degree of certainty, you know, um, Sort of like a, like a spam filter in your email to give a flag when what we're looking at seems like it might be false, misleading, or just completely made up. So in terms of the media, why does it matter if we're truthful or not? Just, it's almost a philosophical question, but like, why does that even matter? What is truth, right? Truth is beauty, beauty truth. No, no, you can't handle like, it. Like, like, doesn't the truth kind of come yeah. out anyway? Like, if, if well, something's I mean, not true, scientists, it's the scientists coming in with the T word and the humanities discussion. Truth is, <laughs> truth is the most dangerous word to say in the humanities. Well, I mean, that is, you know, a good point. Like, if we eventually figure out what's what's the problem, um, you know, beyond the fact that it, it would be, you know, nice to know that people aren't just lying to you on purpose possibly for your their own gain and maybe your detriment. Um, hoaxes, lies, rumors and things that spread and spread very quickly now that we have the internet connecting everybody can cause significant, even say financial harm in like the short term. Like back when he was actually still alive, there was uh, like a Twitter hoax that said that Steve Jobs had had a heart attack or died or something like that. And, you know, Apple stock plunged that day. 
So that is a real world effect on um, uh, that was caused by you know, a form of digital deception. So if there was a way to catch that before it spread so far, before it could spread, um, cause so much harm, or even milder forms, like it might save you embarrassment, you know, uh, in front of your friends from forwarding a clearly satirical onion piece to everyone you know as if it were real, and then have half of them come back and kind of call you stupid. Okay. So how has... I guess a modern age with with things like you can have your own personal website. You can, anybody can have a blog. Um, you know things like satirical newspapers like The Onion. I guess it's a it's a website. Um, but how has that affected modern journalism, or or I guess uh, historical journalism? Yeah, I mean, it seems like right now, and I mean, ever since what like fifteen twenty years ago when newspapers and stuff had first started going online. Um, there have been massive, massive changes in the field of journalism, in uh, media, and so on. And it's still kind of in a state of confusion right now. Um, so one example would be, whereas before, there was a certain level of, um, say, capital, uh, you know, resources and manpower that you would need to be able to publish anything, to distribute uh, some media to any you know, significant number of people, right? You would have to have a press, you would have to have people to you know, um, deliver your newspapers, so on. So not that people didn't lie or you know, um, just make stuff up in their papers there, but on the whole, a lot of times people didn't fool around as much. Whereas now, you know, anyone could start up a blog, anyone can start up uh, like a viral email. It's, it, it's, the bar, uh, the barriers to entry are now so, so low that any bored 12-year-old could start a rumor that Justin Bieber had just died and get that spread halfway around the world before the Biebs himself maybe comes in and says, dude, I'm still alive, what's up, right? So not only is it um, easier for people to produce media, to produce um, messages like this, and to reach a lot of people, the way that these things get shared on your Facebook newsfeed, for example, doesn't really differentiate very well where the source comes from, whether it's from a reputable source like the New York Times or if it's from uh, like The Onion. Uh, if people pay attention, there's like maybe a little link saying where it's from you know, myt.com or theonion.com. But again, there have been studies and most people don't actually look past the headline in a lot of these things. So, you know, my 12-year-old brother could produce something that looks basically the same as a New York Times article. And is that a, is that a cultural shift, I guess, from previous decades, I guess, where if you were flipping through a newspaper, you could read the headlines and then, you know, much of the time if a headline caught your eye, you would read the entire paper. Have we shifted more toward a, just more headline and, and abstract reading as opposed to uh, getting into the details? I mean, in, in basic science that I'm in, you know, you read the title of an article. If you're interested, you read the abstract. And then if you really are, are interested in it, you, you do have to read the article. And a lot of the time, you'll find that the data does not support what the title is or what they, the conclusions the authors make in the abstract. And, and that's probably even more the case uh, 
for for just flipping through headlines on Facebook or Flipboard. Right. Well, Alex, I, I'm going to go on a limb and um, you know guess that you might be a critical reader, a critical thinker yourself, that you might have this automatic crack detector operating inside of you, that you will evaluate, you know, what you're seeing beyond just the headline. Um, again, it seems like a lot of people don't. And in a way, with the shift to internet, um, the way people consume information in the news has changed. So you talked about newspapers. Before, if you wanted to read a newspaper, you had to go out and get one, or have one delivered, or at least open it up, flip through it, and so on. That's an active process. Whereas these days, a lot of times, the news we get, the information we get, is consumed passively. So like your Facebook news feed, you're not necessarily going there to look for news specifically. People, uh, your friends, uh, advertisers, so on, are pushing that content at you. So you may not be, you know, um, in a mental state where you're particularly paying much attention to it. You may just glance down and say, oh, um, well, like last week, uh, our local satirical publication, the Western Beat, which is pretty funny, um, published a story about a student uh, in residence who had been murdered for saying that he was from Toronto when he was actually uh, from Oakville. And if you liar, well, exactly. That's that, that, it's funny, right? Because Oakville's not Toronto. Yeah, I'm from Toronto know. proper. You can't go around saying that if you're from Oakville. Oh, there you go. So the headline was Oakville student brutally murdered for saying he's from Toronto. Um, if you read the rest of the article, it very quickly devolves into just ridiculousness, right? They have statements from uh, people, references to Drake, you know, a whole bunch of hashtags, memes, and so on, and it's very clearly satire. The thing is, though, this was, uh, as far as I can tell, the most popular article the Western Beat had ever um, produced in terms of shares and comments and so on. Um, And a lot of those comments were people saying, Oh my God! This is terrible. How could this happen in a place like 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 London? Um, there's one person who commented that, as a concerned local parent, she had called the police station to verify this. And yes, it was indeed uh, a hoax. And um, the day this came out, I just happened to be on Yik Yak browsing um, random comments, and there was a disturbing number of messages there uh, from students asking if someone had actually been murdered in residence. So this is the sort of thing that, well, okay, let me backtrack for a second. A lot of people are fooled by these sorts of headlines because they don't look further. If they eventually find out that it's fake, sure, you know, they can reassess that information, they can act accordingly. Uh, But at least some of these people are going to keep continue on, at least for some time, thinking that this is true. And that could affect their behavior, their decision making in a variety of ways. And uh, I guess like we're we're kind of running low on time here, but uh, I don't want to ask you guys, so how do you, I imagine the interesting thing is you're building software that then kind of figures out how to critically read. Uh, and, and, And that process in and of itself is interesting. Yeah, so there's sort of multiple levels where we can um, analyze and process this uh, information. So in the field of natural language processing, um, one thing we can look at is uh, word frequencies. So uh, at least in excuse me, uh, in 
satire, um, like The Onion, uh, there is a lot of use of slang terms, um, often profanity, often all sorts of really vivid, uh, imaginative language that you would never, ever find in a serious, legitimate newspaper. So looking at ratios of word usage, uh, you know, verbs, adverbs, things like that, can be one way to at least get an indicator of where, which, of what might be satire or not. Um, other more complicated involved processes would be to bring in um, sort of like critical thinking, uh, a, a level of world knowledge. So you would have to link your program to a knowledge base, database, something like Wikipedia, for example, where you can check and verify information to look for uh, conflicts, to look for contradictions, to look for sort of absurdities in objects and themes and ideas that have absolutely no match at all in normal sort of day-to-day -day life. And yeah, so we're fairly early in this process right now and trying to figure out our way around all these processes and which ones might be best or which combination of methods might be best. But it's really exciting and I get to read, you know, The Onion for fun, or for research, sorry. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, actually. Um, so, Ernest Hemingway said every, I'm going to change his words, every person yes. should have a built-in crap detector. And, and what we're having to do right now, it seems like, is create an automated one so that a computer can, or the internet can filter or do the thinking for us and say, oh yeah, by the way, this isn't real. How sad is that, in your opinion, that a person can't just figure it out for themselves and look at it, analyze it for a second, and then change it. Because, like, are, are we living in a world of sheep here? Like, it, it frustrates me a little bit. Sorry, listeners. Well, no, 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 that's, a, that's a, a great, you know, point to bring up. Um, personally, I like to look on the slightly more optimistic side of life, because otherwise the yawning chasm of depression will swallow me up whole, and I will be lost in the abyss of sadness. Um, but what we envision here is to have this as an assistive tool. So not that it will necessarily be making the decision for you. The person uh, will always have the final call over um, you know, what to look at. The idea here is to help filter out the most obvious um, you know, false pieces to save people time to save people effort and also this could potentially be used in you know education settings so um, it could be used as a pedagogical tool to maybe show uh, young students how much how is to do critical reading how to build that yeah well there. just the ratio of you know um, quality information versus the crap mm -hmm. is very skewed towards the crap so even just giving them maybe a visualization of how much crap is out there versus how much reliable information could, you know, clue them in that maybe you shouldn't believe everything you, you read or hear. Yeah, I, I also think that, like, that when it comes to automation, if you can do something once, then you can do it a million times. And if he could build something like this, what they could do is use that type of technology to, say, uh, improve Facebook's news algorithm so that it actually filters out things that look like they're not reliable or uh, change filter bubbles or maybe even there could be a website in the future uh, that 
that scours the internet looking for good articles and just collects them together and instead have like a, a Reddit that's based on on how true something is rather than how, how many upvotes it gets. <laughs> well, I mean, we can envision all sorts of bright futures, but who knows, this could just gain sentience and usher in a robot apocalypse. And I, for one, welcome our new bullshit detector overlords. Oh, no. As you should. I think it's a great idea. I have, I have one final question, actually, if that's okay. Awesome. Um, so, so I guess, historically, has the news ever truly, truly been, let's call it, truthful? I mean, you could always spread propaganda in the past you could always effectively brainwash people in the past and and many newspapers do have uh, i guess political opinions that they they kind of skew things a little bit toward unintentionally or intentionally so um, i'm just saying that unrelatedly <laughs> what fox oh fox news <laughs> anyway <laughs> so um could this actually lead to to a much better future of news let's call it well i mean th this is the, the problem with the nature of truth it's it's very hard to to be absolute uh, especially outside some of the perhaps more uh, theoretical sciences i suppose um i feel like the best we can do is what is more truthful and what is less truthful right so we're looking at maybe relative uh values here things that might be more reliable um more fact-based versus things that are less verified more uncertain and so on um and i mean at, at some point some things just come down to a difference of opinion and it's difficult to say that your opinion is just you know absolutely wrong especially if it's like what's your favorite color you know blue no yellow yeah but I think that's a different kind of problem, one that philosophers might have to struggle with, uh, not us. That's a good way to end it. All right. Thank you, Yemen. Oh, thank you. Us, and we will see you guys all next time on GradCast. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through GradCast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time. Gradcast!